welcome to the Sharing Power Podcast, production of Flux Theater Ensemble, where we explore what it means to lead together. My name is Jason Seng. I use they, them, and ta pronouns. My visual description is I am a Chinese-American non-binary person. I have shoulder-length, curly, wavy black hair, and I'm wearing a black kind of somewhat a reflective t-shirt. And I'm calling in from the Piscataway and Manahonic lands, colonially known as Potomac, Maryland. Today, I am joined by my co-host, Corinna, and we're sorely missing our beloved friend, Lori, but it's just going to be me and Corinna this time. I'm Corinna Schulenberg. I use she, her pronouns. I am a middle-aged white trans woman with long strawberry blonde brownish hair, and I am wearing a yellow t-shirt that just like makes me pop a little bit. I am joining you from the lands of the Muncie Lenape and Canarsie in what is colonially known as Forest Hills, Queens. So we know that we are not alone in practicing distributed leadership and consent-based processes, but we found that there aren't very many places to talk about, you know, how to actually do it. So that's why, you know, we're doing this podcast so we can talk and learn from others who share our values and hopefully inspire others to adapt these practices into our own contexts. And so for today's episode, the roles that we will be playing, I will be lead facilitator and Corinna will be double hitting as our lead responder and our lead listener. I may have gotten that sports analogy completely incorrect and please let us know in the comments. Okay, and that brings us to our guests, Gipimni. We have two representatives of Gipimni here with us today. They are Patrick and Ryan, and I was wondering if you could do both introduce yourselves. Yeah, sure. My name is Ryan. I use they, them pronouns. I'm calling in from Manhattan, or also known as Lenape land, and I am a, a trans masculine presenting person, and so I have facial hair, short hair, and wearing a brown shirt. And there's a trans flag unintentionally uh, placed behind me. Hi, I'm Patrick. My pronouns are they and them. I'm also calling in from Manhattan or Lenape land. I have black hair. It's cut in a mullet. I have glasses and a black t-shirt on. And I'm sitting in front of a white wall with a window, a fire escape window. New York City balcony. I was going to say very classic New York City setting. So Gipimni, I have a long history with this organization. It's one that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, I was a co-chair of this organization for about three years, I think. And I've, I had been a member for many years before and after. But it's been a minute since I've been connected. So just to give everyone who's listening a little kind of update about who Gipimni is. Uh, so Gipimni is an all-volunteer membership-based community organization with the mission to empower queer and trans Asian Pacific Islanders to create positive change. Founded in 1990, Gipimni is one of the oldest organizations of its kind, and for nearly 25 years, they have provided a range of political, social, educational, and cultural programming, and work in coalition with other community organizations to educate and promote dialogue on issues of race, sexuality, gender, and health. Outside of that little blurb that I just read, is there anything that you'd like to add um, about who or what Gipimni is? Yeah, I'll, I'll just add that historically Gipimni was an acronym, right? And so that in terms of uh, history, 
that, that was one of the changes that were incrementally uh, happening towards uh, in, uh, gender expansive um, uh, demographic, and we're we're not perfect and still working on that. But that uh, but that definitely was one of the mission wording changes that you you may or may not have noticed, Jason. So yeah. Yeah, I definitely remember there was a lot of conversation because the, the the acronym at the at you know in the before times was a gay Asian Pacific Islander men capital N of New York, and and I've been really really elated to see that idea of gender be really be made more expansive at Capendi. And Ryan, I believe you are like the first at least openly trans co-chair, right, of of Capendi. Yes, that's correct. I'm the first co-chair and twice, two times now. So like the first time I joined quickly became co-chair and now currently co-chair again. So I've been serving for many years, probably too many, but you know. <laughs> Is it like Saturn returns, you know, <laughs> co-chair returns? <laughs> okay. Very rough when you mention it like that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and Patrick, anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I think it's also, I've learned, I've been on the Gapimni steering committee for several years as like a member at large. And so being able to participate in different aspects of it, I've kind of learned that also like the work of Gapimni and also it's kind of specific political orientations does come down in large part to the steering committee and sort of who's on it and like what the shared values are. And that's been really exciting to see because I think especially during the pandemic, it's taken a more abolitionist turn and also really focused on mutual aid and sort of like figuring out ways that Kapimni can continue to be um, like an active part of the community beyond the sort of like classic happy hours and social events that have also defined a big part of its work and presence. So yeah, that's been good, I think. Awesome, thanks for adding that. So one of the uh, practices that Flux has in kind of all of our work is that we start every meeting with a check-in. So our check-in question for today is what is bringing you joy right now? And I will start. So right now I'm calling in from Lisbon, Portugal, and I'm here for a month doing the whole digital nomad vibes. And there is this tree that is blooming right now. It's called the Jacarandas. It's I believe it is a Brazilian tree. So it's a vestige of colonialism that they brought this tree over, but it is the most beautiful tree. And its bloom is this brilliant, deep purple. And it's just so arresting to see because you don't see purple trees like normally walking around. And it, 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 I feel like I'm in a fantasy novel because it's just like so uh, unexpected, at least for me. So that's the Jacarandas trees are, are giving me joy. Karina. Yeah, I'm definitely getting some like adjacent joy from your joy, Jason. <laughs> Just because it's so wonderful that you're there and and having the the fun that you are, it definitely makes me happy. But like for me specifically, it's been a bit of an emotional roller coaster that has tended toward joy today. On our balcony, we have been blessed with a pigeon family that has created a nest and laid an egg. And because uh, this is the year anniversary of my uh, sister's death, it's been a really difficult month. But to get this gift of life has been like so exciting. And unfortunately, today, as pigeons will do, um, the birthing pigeon decided that the egg was not good and destroyed it. And we were heartbroken. 
And we knew that sometimes pigeons will abandon their nests if it's not feeling the vibe, but thankfully they have not done that. And so the joy I'm feeling today is that the pigeon is back in the nest trying to make the life happen. And I feel a tremendous bond <laughs> with this pigeon because I too am trying to get in this nest and make the joy and life happen. And I will pass it to you, Patrick. Wow. Yeah, no, I'm okay. I'm going to build on that. Definitely residual slash Zoom adjacent joy from both of your stories and experiences. I think for me, yeah, the days are getting longer and I'm definitely emerging from winter hibernation and initially it's a little bit of a struggle, but I think now I'm in the part where I'm enjoying it and like, I want to be in the sun and like get my vitamin D. So I think just that on a very basic level makes me feel, yeah, just like more active and like, like happier when I wake up because <laughs> my room isn't freezing <laughs> and it's like, oh, I can go outside. Yeah. So I'm just really ready for spring slash summer slash. I feel like we don't really get spring anymore. Right, Ryan? It's just, it's just summer. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's gotten more extreme. Okay, So I guess I can just build on, I can do one of two things. I'm of two minds, you know, and, and they're interconnected. So like as spring is happening, I guess everyone's feeling some kind of way. They're really social, wanting to connect. And that is a lot of energy and the connection is the feeling connected is also a place of it's what we need really right so like I'm really excited that I recently have formed much more deeper connections with people and they are ready to to let me help help plan trips for me to get away from New York City because New York City does not bring me joy but but you know go places where like as all all of y'all had mentioned something about nature as well so connecting to you know sunshine sand beach hiking that kind of thing i'm excited to do in the coming uh, months so that's what i'm looking forward to i can definitely get in on the beach vibes i'm looking forward to that so i guess my first question is i i think it's this the normal question we ask from our guests is kind of to walk us through the origin story of your organization. I think with Pimney, that is a really complicated question. Not, I don't know if it's complicated, but it's a long one, you know, because it's been around for 25 years. It's gone through a lot of different iterations. It's at one point has been a social club, a political movement, all kinds of things, right? And it's and it's one of the things that's really interested me about Kipimni is it's it's it is uh, mercurial in that it kind of it kind of can shape shift into whatever kind of is needed of it in the moment. So I'm really kind of curious, like what how would you describe kind of where Kipimni is now in its current iteration, and how like in the way that you y'all make choices together about how to move forward. How do you do that? And is it different from, you know, when I was involved back in like the, gosh, 2011 of the, you know, 2013? I want to say that a lot has changed. First of all, a lot has changed, especially let's name like COVID being one of, you know, lockdown being one of the things that I think impacted people. So currently I feel like a lot of, a lot of the work that Kipimni probably 
needs to do if like as a community organizer that observes the needs of the community is that like we we all need to better support each other more self-care figuring out what our agencies are at this time in consideration of how much we definitely feel even further oppressed and pressured at this time thanks to capitalism and all of that stuff and so for me personally, I think as a co-chair that I feel important that as we need to also center taking care of ourselves, we also at, at the same time, hopefully uplift each other in that care as well. So programming can be related to uh, things of those topics. We recently covered um, a topic on consent as a workshop. And so to just, you know, conversation. So that's my personal perspective of what the organization is doing at this very moment. Um, but I definitely want to hear from Patrick if Patrick has a very different point of view about this. Yeah, I mean, so I'm trying to think back to like pre-pandemic times and I don't know if I'm getting everything mixed up, but I feel like for me in the years before the pandemic, I think, you know, like I encountered like Adrian Marie Brown's work and like people were talking a lot about emergent strategy and like, what does it mean to like sort of let go of like an ingrained scarcity mindset and like find the abundance and like how we organize and like what we commit to. And like, I don't know, these were the big themes and I just feel like the pandemic really tested that. And it's like, okay, like how, do, how do we find abundance in this moment when we're all meeting on Zoom? Everyone's like haggard, tired and like sick of screens and you know, it was just like, and it just keeps dragging on. Like there's no end, quote unquote, in sight, because how would you even define that? And like, I think Gapimni right now, like literally right now is, has like made a commitment to like shake off the pandemic inertia perhaps, and like sort of recommit to what it looks like to move together and what it looked like to move together when that wasn't like the main defining feature of like our meetings and our energy and our mindset. And so I'm excited for that. I think that means more in-person meetings. And I think it also means like taking the lessons we learned from the pandemic, a big thing, which was, I don't know, that it's okay to do less when like your collective capacity doesn't meet what you used to do. And that also like that you don't have to feel guilty about it. And on the flip side of that too, I think is like, I think I'm shifting personally into a, a headspace where I'm like, Oh, right. Like Epimony is a commitment I've made and I'm excited to have an opportunity to like plan these things that I wanted to for a long time. And like, I don't know, you know what I mean? Like for a while, it just felt like, like we were like, I was, I don't know what the word is, but like just trying to hold it together. And I think something's happening where I'm like, oh, actually like I do have it together and there's like space for me to like do more actively. So that's really general. It's not about specific things Epimony doing, but I definitely feel an energy shift and I think collectively something's happening there. So that's exciting to me. Yeah, what you're describing has really been sitting on my mind a lot about. So I, I recently have took a queer theology class at Union Theological Seminary, and we did a lot of reading of, about, you know, from activists and gay theologians from the AIDS epidemic who were kind of working through that. And in a lot of ways, you know, the kind of uh, COVID you know, was a, a relearning of a lot of the lessons I think our community learned during kind of AIDS epidemic. But it also made me think about how, a lot how, you know, the, specifically 
the, the queer community kind of writ large, but specifically kind of the gay male community is, is, is really unique in a lot of ways in which it is this kind of community that's based around this idea of radical hospita- hospitality through body to body kind of interactions, right? You know, the way that the, the community becomes constituted, constituted is, 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 is through these, these inter- interpersonal relationships, which include sex, which include play, which include community gathering. And then when that is, that venue is, is, taken away from us like how do we then continue to 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 birth the community over and over again you know without that ability I guess that that's just something that I that that what you what you were that you what you said was reminding me about how how does the community you know persist uh with 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 such changing kind of parameters yeah so I definitely feel like the like most, a lot of the community organizing that I understood from all the years of experience is that a lot of it is very, is very important about building the interpersonal relationships at, at minimum, and that there is something that people feel when we're in presence at least even we're not even talking about bodily contact but in press physical presence of each other that just gets lost in in zoom format and and we were one of the last organizations to have tried to propel ourselves into in-person events and i definitely feel like that had definitely impacted our uh, ability to continue, we lost more momentum than most of the other organizations based in New York. As a result, I definitely feel that way, since I am also still had continued to be in touch with Q-Wave. And in contrast, not to, you know, feel, do comparison and feel shame about, you know, how well we perform against Q-Wave. I would, I, I did know, I did find out that like, one of the reasons why they were much more organized than Gipimni was because they had just literally did a three-day retreat bonding together before all of lockdown went down. So like it was like a month before. And so literally they were much more ready positionality than we were when lockdown happened. And so, you know, I think there's something to be said about like also just timing, I guess. In this case, and for for context, for those listening who may not uh, uh, know all the ins and outs of the players of the specific queer Asian uh, organizing scene in New York, Q Wave is a uh, a kind of sibling organization to Kipimni. They have their roots kind of historically within the lesbian kind of experience. I'm not sure if that is true now, but yeah, just FYI, literacy moment. But I, I hear what you're saying about like we can just see the power of of you know personal. And the, the, the interpersonal in, in developing collective work. Karina, you wanted to add something? Yeah. So what you were seeing, Ryan, really resonated with me because ever since we founded, and in fact, before we founded, Flex has been gathering every year for a retreat outside of New York City <laughs> in this beautiful converted farmland that's now a spiritual and arts retreat. It's called Little Pond. Um, you know, and I think if you're like, if you were to ask me, you know, what's the single most important thing that Flex has done 
to like maintain a kind of shared commitment to the work, it would definitely be that retreat, you know, and part of it is getting out of New York City and stepping out of our day to day. Um, part of it is the relationship to nature and our more than human kin. And part of it is that like kind of natural collectivism that occurs when you're like, my turn to cook, my turn to do dishes, you know, and just the, the sort of power of that. And there are like benefits that are explicit. Like you're like, oh, wow, we developed that play. Oh, wow. We like created that new strategic idea. We're going to move forward. But then there's like this implicit, like relational thing that happens that like when people have not been to a retreat in like a couple of years that you can feel sometimes that disconnect. And so I'm curious, like, how are you all thinking about that rhythm for you? Like, are you imagining that there is like a, you know, for us as a kind of annual pulse, but like for you all, like, how are you coming together for that kind of relational time that makes everything else possible? Yeah, I I mean, Patrick implied this earlier that we, and maybe not explicitly spelt out because we're kind of in our heads a little bit, but, you know, prior to we have been having, you know, purely virtual, purely Zoom meetings even, and, and then it feels like everyone wants to push towards, even though we're all still like maybe socially awkward and trauma and whatever else, feeling uncomfortable, wanting to commit to meeting in person all the time, but also realizing how how much it helps sort of make us feel better about it, each other. Because I definitely feel like in this process of vir- virtual stuff, people feel more like antagonizing towards each other so it builds towards even more further lack so being in person one of the meet one of the community care is that like some we we also provide dinner during the meetings for the for the gathering so like somebody is gonna get us food for everyone to eat while we you know in in community as well and i think that there's something about that kind of act of service that like it maybe not all not all of us have a specific love language we definitely need but i definitely i uh, personally feel like the ideas of the different types of expressions of love is important for as a framework to think about as opposed to us being one primary type because I don't believe in that personally, but that that like there's something to it that adds something to to the feeling of camaraderie by being to being able to do that, um, and yeah, and also I'll also throw in a little bit because I pulled away from this and I I'm trying to push myself to not seem like I'm sex adverse but it's definitely like also interesting to also acknowledge how much you know our sexual needs may drive our need to be closer to one another and that also helps provide the motivation for people to gather as well and so like I think that like once we're in 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 person that that also like brings people up to being in like finding that pleasure in, in in each other as well so i think that's yeah. important to name 
Thanks for saying that. I, now, now that you mentioned Brian, I, I do remember that like, yeah, like every single, like in the way that every single flux meeting starts with uh, a sharing of checking in, every, like you don't leave a Gapimni meeting hungry. <laughs> There's always food. Patrick, is there anything you like to add? Yeah, I, well, I think like just specifically um, to your question, I think we always try to like the typical rhythm was like an annual planning retreat, maybe toward the beginning of the year to like, like that's the board turns over at the end of the calendar year and so that was like an initial coming together and then maybe another like warm weather summertime kind of gathering that's maybe more social and like definitely more cooking together and that rhythm definitely fell away during the pandemic and I'm thinking about it and I I just think something about like the zoom like the regular zoom meetings for Gapimni at least like because it felt like everyone was stretched so thin in other aspects of their lives I think this like this neoliberal pressure to like be as efficient as possible with like extracurricular Zoom stuff crept in. And so, you know, like our meetings stayed on Mondays around 8 p.m., which is like really tough after a whole day of like, I don't know, like working in other capacities during COVID. And so like all that time that in in in-person meetings we'd like have to like socialize or catch up or like you know, like you take a five minute bathroom break, but like, that's also a chance to like catch up with your friend who's sitting next to you and, or like going to get drinks afterward at the local gay bar or, you know, like all these things kind of fell away and it was like, okay, like let's crunch down the agenda to get through this as fast as possible. And I mean, one thing we did do, like we would, we would Venmo people like a meal stipend so they could like order in, but like that didn't, you know, like it was like a gesture, but it, it wasn't quite the same as like sharing food together either because it's, so we were thinking about these kinds of things. But again, I think it was just like this melding of like work mindset with Gapimni slash organizing mindset because everything just felt the same and everything was kind of like the boundaries between them were not really there. So yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is like something about the work like this kind of organizing work, I think the rhythm of it and like the sociality of it and like the relationship building is is really what drives it. And when you just boil it down to like the logistics of the work itself, like something really feels like it's missing. And so I think that's what I'm carrying with me. Yeah. Yeah. When you're, when you say that, it, it reminds me so much about how, like what I loved about being a part of Gapimni was that it, was it forced me to be social, socially engaged with all a whole bunch of people that I, I normally wouldn't, you know, have a reason to 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 get in, in a room with, and how so much of the work of community organizing is not necessarily like all like the actions you're able to organize or you know the number of people you're able to get to show up to a thing, but it's it's the literal the literal work is just like caring for each other, you know, showing up touching each other, hugging each other, like, like that, that is the work. It reminds me a lot of something that, that we do at Flux. We have, the, we have this thing called the aesthetic of liberation. And so in theater spaces, oftentimes, you know, there's this idea that like the aesthetic is super important and like the end product result of what the consumer experiences, like that's the only thing that we should be shooting for. But Flux, we kind of push back against that and really come to it with the idea that like everything that we do on stage and off should make people more free. And if they're, if they're, if we're not doing that, then we're, then we're failing. And the, the, the work, the creative work of theater is, is also in the experience of the people doing it. 
So that's something that that I've really found that I kind of learned from community organizing at Gipinbe. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to add one more thing. I, I do want to say that, like, for example, like meeting over Zoom definitely created like better access for folks just in terms of like being able to participate if like you have a cold, but you're still like, but you still want to like share an update or like if you can't make the commute into Manhattan from Queens because you're stuck at work late, like, you know, like, so I think as we, as a lot of us learned during the pandemic, like, like centering access sort of opens up doors for everyone, not like, not just the specific people that you might be trying to increase access for. And I do want to say that as Gapimni, like, I think we didn't quite get to that sweet spot or like, I think for Gapimni, because everyone was like worn down so much, we weren't able to be as like intentional or focused on like creating like virtual meeting spaces that were like, like generative and exciting and dynamic because it was the end of our day and we were just trying to like get to bed. Right. So mm-hmm. I, like, I think there was a lot of opportunity there and could have been, but I think also collectively we like, we didn't really focus on that in advance. Like at some point, like agendas were being made, like minutes before the meeting started, you know what I mean? So it was like, it was like the struggle of like, oh, this could be so much more, but then also like the reality of where we were at individually. And so that was really tough at points. I hear that. I'm curious about uh, as you kind of move forward and this kind of new reset for Gapimni, like how do you kind of balance kind of consent and agency? So one thing that we kind of like think about it at Flux is that, you know, consent is not really a, you know, binary thing, right? And we think of it as a spectrum, you know, anything from like an enthusiastic yes to an, I'm not going to stand in the way of this decision, but we really think about it as, you know, like oftentimes when there are projects that we're trying to move forward, there will be times when not, not everybody can realistically kind of have equal weight and equal kind of decision-making power on every decision. And so we always kind of have this tension between like uh, empowering people to make executive choices and then also kind of taking the time to move at the speed of trust. I'm kind of curious about like what that means like at a place like Epimni, especially where kind of accountability to a community and is, is so important. You know, so I imagine you're you're not only dealing with consent between the other people, the other people on the steering committee, but it's also the consent of the community at large. I'm just going to say, I don't think we're doing a very good job, but I mean, it has been definitely a struggle because I I also think that there are definitely, like, I will name the thing that, like, as a co-chair, I see and feel frustrated about is that, like, there's an unsense of agency across the Co- the 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 steering committee members about what they uh, feel like they can do and it also plays into the struggle about onboarding new folks and bringing them on being enthusiastic and willing to uh, and feeling the agency to do it with balancing against the capacity to to build leadership that way like you know how much more social energy that we have to commit to to being able to bring that person into the organization it does like lots of factors so the the i think sometimes we do 
low-key get frustrated with each other around this around these issues mainly because of just like i do believe we're pretty burnt down in capacity strapped around a lot of things and 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 there's also a struggle around how we respond when we're burnt out and when we're not in a good place some of us overperform some of us underperform right and so it's just like this is also why i think like a lot of I mean, to be fair, right, a lot of consent also is about setting boundaries. And sometimes we also usually focus about boundaries around saying no, but also what about saying yes, right? So like being like pleasure-centered, enjoyable-centered. And I, I think this is also a result of COVID too, right? Like we're rethinking what we're like personally, individually prioritizing and understanding what uh, brings us greater joy. And so very often, this is a re a reconfiguration and a new calculus. And I think that that's going to play out in this in the organization going forward. And I don't know what that's going to look like. Yeah, Ryan, what you're saying, it really resonates with me. And, you know, it reminds me of how, for me, who has been with the ensemble for a long time. We were recently going through a process where we're, we're sort of rethinking how uh, what we call creative partnership, like that's the how our shared power system works. We're all creative partners. We make decisions through a consensus-based process. Um, we were thinking about maybe changing the boundaries of how someone can become a creative partner. And as part of that process, we went through like a whole like five month like conversations, like really going into it. Um, and one of the things that was interesting was for some of the people who had been uh, a part of the ensemble longer, there was this like kind of trauma associated with the dynamic that you're talking about of people being like, why aren't you taking more agency to do more? And like vice versa to a lesser degree, like, you know, why are you taking so much agency? Why aren't you checking in with others? And there were times in our history where there was like festering, you know, people would be like, I'm mad at that person, but I'm not really going to talk to them about it, you know? And, and so what was so surprising to me was a part of this process was, you know, there was like some questions that we put together that we were asking of each other. And one of them was this like fear of I'm not doing enough. Therefore I'm going to be judged for not doing enough. And like, everyone's like, no, <laughs> I don't feel that way at all. I, and it was a total shock to me because I had lived through multiple years of, of people constantly feeling tension around not doing enough themselves or someone else not doing enough. And, I, you know, I think part of it is like personalities, honestly, certain personalities, maybe not being 100% a great fit for consensus-based work. <laughs> but I think also too, we, we did clarify our values. Uh, we, we like redid our values, I think in like 2019, Jason, I think. And we we specifically made collective care one of them. And what was cool about that dynamic is it really like made something intentional, which had always been present, but not fully activated, which was like, I'm invested in your care. If you need to take a break, please take a break. <laughs> if you need to do less work, please do less work. If you need to move back, please move back. And if we're able to, if we're not able to do as much, fine. And like, I think that's part of what has made that dynamic healthier but it is like such a tricky dynamic when you're working in like 
shared power spaces. So I, I don't know if there's any more the two of you want to say about that or you want to say about it, Jason, but it just really resonated with me what you said. Thank you. Yeah, I, I guess the only thing that I may add to that is that I think that it's interesting with looking at the, being at the person that's kind of like, that has had a foot in both of these different worlds of this theater collective and this, you know, community organization, because at Capimni, like the, there isn't really like a, like a gate that we're keeping people out of, you know, it's like, if you show up, then you show up. And the only thing that like kind of qualifies you to be to have a voice at the table is the fact that like you say you do, <laughs> you know, it's like, we, we don't, we don't check anybody's like credentials uh, of, of being part of our community. It's like, if you say you're part of a community, we believe you. And that's, a, that's a really, I think, difficult way to structure or even to know like who you're accountable to, who you need to be thinking about, who you need to be inviting into your space, who you need to make space for. And yeah, that's just one thing that like that, like that that I find interesting about about community based work where there, there's this kind of promised land, right? Or, or or this need to imagine those who aren't in the room. You know, that's actually I think kind of amazing. I don't know. I don't know if you, if you all experience that when, when you're when you're <laughs> when it's ten o'clock and you just want to get off the Zoom call. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying definitely, yeah, like thinking about what is, who, who is the community that we are in service of? Like, I think that is really tough. And I think it's something, like I mentioned earlier, like Epimnes politics has taken like an abolitionist turn. And like, we're also like incorporating mutual aid into our like day-to-day practice and other value shifts that kind of mirror what happened like politically and on the ground since the murder of George Floyd in the U.S., like during the pandemic, right? I think from that point, and I, and I think before then too, like, I think if I'm remembering correctly, like some of the shift for Gapimni was pre-pandemic, but we have talked about how, like, for example, like our social media presence is way, way more like quote unquote progressive than perhaps like the core of our base that shows up to like happy hour events. But again, like that's also assumptions we're making based on like our own personal relationships with different parts of commu- of the community and also like ideas around who works where, like are these people working in finance and law versus like at a nonprofit or like, you know, like, you know what I mean? So it's like so much, like we don't do surveys of like all the queer Asians in New York city and like getting this demographic data to like figure out how better to serve them. And in some ways we we don't, we wouldn't have the capacity to like process that information perhaps and like, like completely shift everything to like meet those needs. Cause we're not like a, you know, a fully staffed nonprofit expertise kind of organization, right? Like it's a grassroots community group. And so, yeah, like there's like, it's, I think for me, it's like talking around consent. It's like, like you were saying, Jason, it can be anything from like an enthusiastic yes to like, okay, like I don't agree with this, but I'm okay with it moving forward, you know, on behalf of the group. And I think another gray zone is like, like what is a growing edge for the community, like ways that Capini can lead the community to explore different ideas and positions on like relevant issues that affect us and the people we love and care about. For example, thinking about envisioning what it would look like to not have to depend on police for quote unquote safety, right? Like, is that a conversation we can start and sort of like push people through their own growing edges? Like 
the difference between that and like someone just being like, you know what? No, I'm not comfortable with this idea and the programming that you're doing doesn't resonate with me. And therefore I'm not going to go to these like political education events that Kapimni is doing anymore because like, I don't, I don't get what you all are doing, you know? And like, that's really tough to hear about too. And, and we also can't like do everything and straddle every like position across like these different political issues. And so I think it's an open question I think it's just a dynamic question of like, yeah, like how do we hold ourselves accountable while at the same time, like moving things forward in a way that aligns with the values that we envision for our community, right? Yeah, right. So one thing I, one thing I will mention though, um, that we've been also scrappling with in terms of accountability is also, you know, we, during the retreat, you know, one of the important conversations that we were trying to have capacity, you know, wise, we needed much more time and much more thought around was like what is a member of Gepemne right like so we were trying to be like who are we accountable who is our base and we actually didn't I didn't it didn't sound like we all actually had like a consensus agreement on what we're doing because exactly because of what Patrick mentioned because if you're if you're encountering the social media internet presence then we are not place-based then, right? And that's a struggle. And then, but at the same time, we're sending out more like political education through that way. And then what does our programming look like? Does it need to align or does it not need to align? You know, like becomes a whole question. And membership was also pivoted away from paid dues now. So like, what does it mean to be a member, right? It became really, really expensive and unclear. So accountability has become really unclear at all like completely as a result of like we don't even know who are who who our stakeholders are sometimes right so the only clarity we currently have is clearly the people who have committed to to continue to serve as a a SC member as a, a steering committee member of Gipemni is definitely who are who are servicing, right? And so it's kind of um interesting too to think about because that also makes it we probably need more creative ways of wording that so it doesn't sound like we're just fully self-centered and self-serving, but you know, also it absolutely is valid to do that as well. Right. So I, I think you can totally look at that as a really place of strength. Like what you're actually describing is, 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 you know, a group, I, I you know, I've always kind of believed that, that, that community organizing is, is a coalition not of, of the willing of, but of the people who show up uh, and, and that can show up in a lot of different ways, but like to, to, to know that there's a place in, in the world where you, uh, where we as like a queer Asian person can just like, walk up and be like, hey, you know, like by virtue of me saying that like I want to do a thing and I want to be part of this thing and then I'm going to perceive like social and potentially even financial support to make this thing happen. The place that that that, that exists somewhere is kind of like amazing because like queer Asian people don't get told that like anywhere. <laughs> so I think that, you know, I, 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 what I'm hearing from you a lot is I just want to name the, 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 the weariness and the the challenge of running and supporting an organization and a community like this for many many years, and Gapimni is one has been doing it for, for for one of the longest in like kind of the the category, right? Um, and so yeah, I just want to say that like 
as as much as we can look at like the the day-to-day kind of grime and the the churn of like okay i what you're describing to me is actually really still really revolutionary to me thank you for that affirmation i i do <laughs> believe that it is revolutionary i mean there is all of this Adrienne Marie Brown pleasure activism as well, right? So centering our own pleasure and rest is absolutely um, a radical thing, especially since capitalism tells us we can't. Um, so it's definitely not it's it's not a you know a silly thing at all. Yeah, and I also think that you know. This is me just speaking about from my memory of of my my more active years with Kipimi, but I remember that you know like there was always this kind of push and pull between the social and the political, and like you know how far can we go with political before we impact the social? But like I remember some of our our most effective and joyous political events or activist events were successful because they were social so social i remember this one action that we did kind of in protest of something that some hong kong social services department did around kind of conversion therapy is like we all got together and opened up fire hydrants in new york city and got wet and made out in you know in the hot summer and that was social as justice right and I don't think those two things have to be separate. And I think they they're probably most potent when they're when they're merged. Yeah, definitely not mutually exclusive. And we, I think that theme definitely comes up again and again. And we kind of respond to it in different ways. Um, and I remember seeing uh, photos of that action you described, Jason. So it's safely in the archives somewhere. <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think, I think, and maybe this is also something for Ryan to respond to, but so I'm a member at large and Ryan is, is like a co-chair. And so I think from my like outside perspective as a member at large, like sometimes I feel like the co-chairs, right? Like there's this pressure for the co-chairs to like, they're like the, they're like the last resort. Like when everybody else, when no one else has capacity, it's like, okay, well, we're the co-chairs. So like we have to grind through and like, get the stuff done and I and to me that's really difficult because it's like sometimes that doesn't feel fair like you know because it's like the co-chairs might not have any capacity either and so I think something we we briefly mentioned earlier is like just being okay with getting less done or just not getting it done and I think the co-chairs feeling okay with that even though that's like a position that they've committed to and stepped into and they are leading the steering committee Yeah, I don't know, Ryan, if that's something you felt, but it's just like, how do we, even though there is kind of a hierarchy within the steering committee, like you can be a co-chair, you can be a committee chair, like a political chair or a social chair, like how do we also continue like supporting each other in the reality of our individual lives beyond those like titles, I guess? I mean, we're going to just have this conversation on the podcast here, but I... uh... I, which is great. I think we'll have this recorded forever. <laughs> so my personal take is that like, 
again, back to self-care, like what is actually self-care is not just like, I'm going to take a bubble bath, but like really like figuring out what your boundaries are and like communication. I think that the key is that, you know, I'm also, I will be like very accountable all the time. Like I will say that, like, I know sometimes I get really dicey with my communication, but like, you know, I think what it comes down to is just like, communication so like i think for for the struggle around co-chairship and why i will quote jason kwong about finding co-chairs is like the reverse game of thrones no one wants it you know is because like the problem is that like the coach the whoever's gonna be co-chair has to be the kind of person who knows their boundaries well enough to be like, listen, I'm really feeling very burnt out, check in with myself and be like, I need to give myself permission to lay down my burden. Like, because that's how you close the burnout cycle is to like actually give a second to be like, I'm going to let it all down for a second so I can rest long enough that I have the energy to pick it back up. And like, I don't think we talk enough about how to do that as a as a group in a supportive way. We're getting there, but I don't think we're quite there yet. And I think that there that's a very important conversation uh, to have. So they're and they're really. I mean, honestly, it, when I mention it that way, it's like really very detailed, specific, small thing that just needs to be done for a very dramatic effect of like how we feel about things, right? All of a little bit of communication goes a long way in, in affecting how we feel really. So like, I think that that's really what it comes down to. Like people have to be able to share their calendars at least a little bit being say like, I'm available here and here, this is what's happening to me at this time. So just so you know, I like, like can't do these things it's because I don't I don't have that and uh, another challenge is not everyone has the skill set to to calendar that well and so there's also feeling a certain way about like that and feeling maybe not enough as well so like there's a lot of little bits about where our boundaries and how our skill sets are and how we feel about ourselves that really play into these dynamics. Verna, you had something to add? Yeah, this will probably be my last question because speaking of care, I've got to go pick up my daughter from school <laughs> uh, and bring her to our Taekwondo class, which will be really fun. But I just wanted to build on what you're talking about because it's been a big journey for us, I think, in understanding like leadership in a more expansive way. I think it was in like 2020, we did this exercise where we were like, rather than like define leadership one way, let's think about like, let's create like fun roles with like silly names and kind of see who connects to them, right? So someone who was like a witch would be someone who'd be tending to like the, the sort of spiritual power of <laughs> of the company and someone who was like a healer would be doing repair work within the relationships and you know and someone who was like a joker would would be making us laugh and bringing us joy right and so we created all these different ideas for names and people were like I think I'm like 
contributing these three things. And of these three things, like I wish really, I could do more of this, you know, because I really get relied on for that. And it was really powerful. And it spoke to the ways like, you know, how it operates, I feel like in our kinds of like organizations where, you know, a person who's taking on a lead organizer role in Flux is not delegating work to other people to do it. <laughs> They're doing the work to move the thing forward, right? So that speaks to that like reverse Game of Thrones thing that can happen when someone steps into that role. They're stepping into a lot of like administrative and organizing work. And there are people of which I am one who are really energized by it. And we have boundaries and we get burnt out when we do too much of it but it is something that we feel drawn to and connected to. And one of the challenges I think that we've continually dealt with, and I feel like we're in a pretty decent place now is to really be able to see that ecosystem of leadership. Like, yes, there are a couple of us who like bring that organizer energy, but there are others of us who are doing that repair work and others of us who are in like this beautiful prophetic space, dreaming big things for the, you know, for flex and others who are like making us laugh and we'd all be really annoyed with each other if they ever left. <laughs> You know, and so like the capacity to be able to recognize that like ecology of leadership and those different leadership styles and to value them all, even like as we understand the way in which that organizing energy has a particular function is tricky. I don't know if I, I don't know if the, that, you know, sparks anything for the two of you or for you, Jason. I just want to add one one final thing was that one of our creative partners, Emily Hartford, I think this is during the pandemic, she she gifted us with this concept, which she took from somewhere else. So the the provenance of this is somewhat suspect. But it was as I instead of kind of radical efficiency, she gave us this gift of radical inefficiency. And it is a a act of not only self-preservation, but of resistance, you know, to that kind of neoliberal meritocratic urge to like churn and get stuff out I'm like no you know what i'm gonna sit here on my ass and i'm just gonna soak it in and that is valuable so i was gonna give that to you <laughs> i'll take it thank you <laughs> thank you ryan i love that but yeah i that the 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 different roles i think as a reflection and reaction to what was just named there i i think it's brilliant because i think what's happening is like it's another way to sort of name the kind of persons that we each are and our tendencies to do certain things and like that is in its own form a form of like this one of the steps for accountability right like to be able to account for what we're actually contributing into the group is so important for us to have conversations to deal with other hard things trust us i'm not going to mention it here but we are dealing with really hard situations and so being able to name what we are doing is also like aside from taking a step back just what we're actually doing in the space and in the group and our dynamic is like something that i was trying to get the group to do i don't think i succeeded at all but you know like that's another possibility for me to you know mix it up here so thank you for that yeah thank you 
And so I think that brings us to the end of our conversation. So I just wanted to first thank you both for joining us on this podcast to share your experiences with collective work. And I was wanted to give you the opportunity to, to let our listeners know where they can find more information about Capimni. I'm like literally Googling what our social handles are. I think it's just Capimni. Wait, let me just check. Okay, we're on we're definitely on Twitter and Instagram. And Gapimni is spelled, it's, yeah, it is just Gapimni, G-A-P-I-M-N-Y. Yes, uh, I think on Twitter, on Twitter it's Gapimni org, I think. And then Gapimni, you can find uh, directly on IG. We're trying to cater to younger folks too. So I think there's more of a, you know, social media pre- presence, at least on the IG and Twitter. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you again. I also want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please give us a like and subscribe to our podcast or leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to us on. It helps us get to more people. And thanks again. And we'll be talking soon in the next episode of Sharing Power. Bye.